Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Welcome to the Carol the Coach Show. Hey, this is Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and I really appreciate you being here with me today. I got to tell you, Mondays can be a little rough, so if you're listening tonight live, wow. You must really like the fact that this show teaches you the skills you need to be the best person ever, especially in face of adversity. And when I say adversity, I mean sexual addiction or partner trauma. I mean, it can be very, very rough, and so I um, so appreciate you being with me. And if you listen during the week, if you're like me, this is what I do. I am... download the shows to my computer and then to my iPod. And so I exercise and I listen or I mow the lawn and I listen or I take a long drive and I listen. I listen when it's convenient. I was doing landscaping the other day and I was listening to somebody else's podcast. And I just felt so much gratitude that I could do something kind of mundane and monotonous and still get good information that fed my soul. So what feeds your soul? I just did um, a YouTube video, and it's actually on my Carol Jurgensen Sheets um, YouTube, as opposed to my Sex Help with Carol the Coach. I will probably put it on both, but it's on self-esteem. And I can't say enough for the fact that you can change your life by changing your thoughts. And the most important thoughts for you to change are the thoughts that have to do with you. See, I'm a life coach as well as a therapist, and what I know to be true is that if you can begin to find a morsel of truth in the fact that you believe in yourself, that's all it takes to start a cycle going where, in actuality, you take care of you You build your own self up. You notice your own strengths. And then you don't feel so bad about what has happened to you. Now, when I say that, that's for both the addict and the partner. Tonight we're going to be talking about what is partner-sensitive treatment. And you know that I'm an APSATS, which is A-P-S-A-T-S. I've been trained specifically to treat the partner. And my colleague and good friend, Tim Stein, is going to be talking about how partner-sensitive treatment not only enhances the coupleship, but it enhances and increases the self-esteem of the sex addict because it allows him to rebuild the broken relationship, the relationship he broke, right? 
And do I think it's broken? Oh, I think it's ruptured, if nothing else. Um, I hate to call anything broken or damaged because, let's face it, you know my belief is what doesn't kill kill us makes us stronger and that anybody can experience good post-traumatic growth from looking at life and asking, what do I have to learn from it? How can I grow stronger? So although I would not want this to happen to my best friend, I wouldn't want you to get a sex addiction, I wouldn't want you to develop one, I wouldn't want you to deal with one, nor would I want you to be in love with a sex addict and to have gone through discovery and then disclosure and be traumatized as you more than likely are. But here's my promise to you, as you get healthier and as you create boundaries and you learn assertiveness and and you work some of the skills that you need to to stand up for your own life, you will feel a sense of confidence that you may not have had before. And we as people have to build ourselves up. Now, I say that in the world of narcissism. You know, I'm the first one to take a good selfie, but i got to tell you, when selfies were first developed, I thought, this is the most narcissistic thing I've ever seen. You turn the camera around on yourself, you take pictures of you and or you and your friends, and it's all about you, and it just felt weird. It still does, i got to admit. It feels weird to want pictures that focus specifically on you, especially if it's you and you alone. However, you and I both know that connection is the antidote for so many things, including sexual addiction. And if you want connection, sometimes a good selfie with your girlfriends or your guy friends or your couple friends, you know, it just reminds you of how much fun you can have being around people. And when you're in recovery and you have a fellowship, whether it be the sex addict or the partner, it can be an amazing experience. And certainly going to Essanon and COSA and therapy groups and therapists can help you to start understanding and recognizing your strengths no matter what's happened to you or no matter how badly you feel about yourself. You know, I really think that sex addicts in general have difficulties with some core beliefs. And the core beliefs are, I'm not good enough, I fear failure, I don't want to be rejected, I'd rather not risk, I'd rather be alone. And then partners oftentimes think somewhere in the back of their mind that the condition that they're in, that the situation that they're in is a result of them not being good enough. Well, if we'd had more sex. Well, if I'd paid more attention to him. Well, if I'd lost 20 pounds. Well, if I'd gained 15 pounds. Well, if I'd paid less attention to the kids. And i got to tell you, sex addiction may have come out of some dissatisfaction in the current life, but more than likely it came out of childhood and or it developed as a result of a habit disorder. And this isn't the clinical habit disorder, but truly there are lots of behaviors whereby um, it can be very... Well, listen to me. I am just... There we go. Sorry about that. My YouTube popped up on me. You know, sometimes we have technical difficulties. So anyway, the sexual addiction, the fact that you are in love with a sex addict, his or her behavior did not result from some huge um, inadequacy in you. It resulted out of a childhood trauma or some behavior that became very habitual and compulsive. Wow, when that happens, um, it can 
get out of control, it can spiral. And when it spirals, oftentimes people don't know what to do. Addicts don't know how to cut it off. That's what this show is all about, and I'm so thankful that you're listening to it today because you are figuring out what resources and tools that you would need to get stronger, to believe in yourself, and to do the hard work that will help to repair relationships, it will help to improve your self-esteem, and it will help you to develop habits that actually feed your soul. And, hey, that's what we started out with, didn't we? We said, what feeds your soul? Now, i got a good book to recommend. It's not a book for sex addicts. It's not a book for partners. But I'm a big, big believer in workbooks. And you all know that my very favorite sexual addiction workbook is Facing the Shadows by Dr. Patrick Carnes. I mean, that just is the Bible of workbooks. When you're first getting started in working on sexual addiction. And then Facing Heartbreak is pretty good too. It's a workbook for partners. I don't wanna I don't wanna tell anybody anything, but I'm in the midst of writing a workbook too. In the meantime, there is the self esteem workbook and it's a companion guide to self esteem. It's written by Glenn Sheraldi, PhD and he has really helpful basic exercises on how to improve your sense of self. Some of them are CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and they encourage you to have more realistic alternate thoughts. Some of them are about identifying your own personal strengths. And if you've listened to my show, you know, one of my assignments to my clients is to come up with 50 personality strengths that they like about themselves. That's not that you're a good mom or a good dad or that you're an excellent coach. It's more like you're dedicated, persistent, loving, compassionate, genuine, um, tenacious, those kinds of words. And when I talk to people with low self-esteem about who they are and what they need, they oftentimes say to me, you know, Carol, I don't want to look at my positives. I don't know that I even believe that I have them, but when I'm able to come up with a few, it feels conceited. It feels arrogant. It feels... um, Like, I'm not being humble. And, you know, my parents told me early on, don't teach your own horn. Don't say positive things about yourself. Use a little humility, would you? And so you may have had that training as a kid where you didn't know that it was okay to toot your own horn. Now, you can do that verbally, or you certainly can do it internally. And... If if you don't feel comfortable letting somebody know, you know, what you're good at or what you like about yourself, you can at least tell yourself, you know what, there are times I'm awesome. I mean, I work really hard. I try. I try to improve my life. Um, I'm a, a gentle, caring person. I may have done some things that are absolutely against who I really want to be as a person. But what I know to be true is that I am working hard at being a better person. And it's working a little bit at a time, not fast enough, but it is working. And that's the measurement of good self-esteem. When you know who you are, you accept your imperfections, and you work towards liking yourself, accepting yourself, and improving the thoughts you're having about yourself so that you strive and actualize your potential. That's what a coach does. A coach gets you to actualize your potential, and it's not conceited, and it's not arrogant. So if you're a partner 
of a sex addict. We're going to be talking to you tonight. And if you're an addict, I can I ask you to keep listening because it's important for you to know what partner sensitive treatment is and what it's like to actually pay attention to your own needs and stop worrying so much about what the addict is doing. I mean, I know you got to be safe, you got to feel stable, and you got to have some sense of security. But at some point, you also really have to blend that with taking care of you and knowing what your own boundaries are and knowing how to change your thoughts. And when you do that, you become a healthier partner. And... Tim Stein is going to be talking about why partner-sensitive treatment is so important uh, for clients who are looking for the right therapist to get them back on track and help them to build their own sense of self-esteem and really kind of negotiate what the coupleship is all about so that they don't get walked on, but at the same time, they begin to find some development of trust. Uh, he is an APSAT certified clinical specialist, and he's a CSAT, which is, again, a certified sex addiction therapist. So this is somebody who has seen it from both perspectives. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for being on, being on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Oh, my pleasure, Carol. How are you doing? Oh, wonderful. It's Monday night. Had a great weekend. Saw that solar eclipse. Where were you today when when the solar eclipse happened? <laughs> I was in my office in a cloudy day working with clients. I didn't see it at all. Well, I have to admit, I was in the office too, but I, my client and I turned off the lights, and I have huge windows on both sides of my office, and so we couldn't look at the sun. We didn't have the glasses, but it was pretty cloudy here, too, and yet you could see it get darker and darker and darker, and then bam. Uh, it just it just felt historical. I don't know. It's always fun to notice things that are um, memorable in terms of our own history. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these things don't happen very often, and they're great markers. You know, I, I find, you know, I find with the the clients and the people that I that I work with, addicts and partners alike, there are there are markers that show up along their journey, especially people who've been in uh, in recovery and healing for a while. And you know, looking back, they can say, "Oh, yeah, I remember when this happened because that was a significant turning point in in my journey, in my path, whatever that might have looked like." Oh, absolutely, and you know, I know that you really appreciate and work with sex addicts and partners, and you use a very partner-sensitive approach. Now, let me ask you, when treating sex addiction, um, Mm -hmm. how do you help a partner to know what partner-sensitive treatment looks like? When we're working with a partner, it's it's helping the partner to recognize that that partner-sensitive treatment doesn't mean that the addict's treatment is going to be centered on and focused on the partner and making sure that the addict program, the way the partner wants them to work their program. It's helping the partner to understand that you're, the addict has been wrapped up in their addiction, and when their addiction has taken over their brain, their focus has been kind of myopic. It's just been completely on their addiction, what they want in the moment, and, and, and everything else sort of goes out the window. Partner-sensitive treatment is incorporating and, and really pushing on the addict not to, to not let go of the focus on their, their own program, but to say, we need to work on your program and we need to maintain an awareness of how your program is impacting the other people in your life, and and most primarily if you're in a relationship, your partner, and how your addiction has impacted the part your partner in the in the past, and how your program 
and your recovery and your sobriety can impact your partner moving forward. And by holding on to that awareness while you continue to work your program, it, it, it develops a sensitivity to uh, other people in your life and, and how your behaviors or your choices impact them. Well, I know that when I talk to people about partner-sensitive treatment, they can get kind of freaked out. It's like, oh, no, does that mean the partner gets to make all the decisions? Uh, and so yeah. I'm always kind of clarifying that, no, that doesn't mean they get to make all the decisions. But I do really feel like one of the things about our model is that we know that when a sex addict can help to rebuild the relationship with the partner, it actually improves his or her self-esteem. And that's mm-hmm. one of the ways we can treat the addict and also work with the partner because it also develops trust. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It it doesn't become, you know, we're just going to do whatever the partner wants. But addicts, they do. They get so much out of that awareness of that sensitivity you know, some people will talk about addicts and people who've struggled with addiction as, as being sort of emotionally stunted. And in some ways that's true because addicts uh, use, use their addiction to not feel the, the, the deeper, more painful, uncomfortable emotions. And if you don't feel those, you can't grow from them. And feeling those emotions and growing from them and having that emotional development is part of what helps us to connect with other people. And that's partly what allows our life to become so, so rich and full. So when we're working with addicts on partner from a partner sensitive model, it's incorporating into that model, the idea of let's look at how, what you're doing is impacting and related to other people. Um, I've heard some people you know, be frustrated. Uh, before we were doing more par- partner-sensitive work here, it, and and I would hear people say they have just shifted their selfishness. The addict has just shifted their selfishness from their addiction to their recovery. But, but you know, as a partner, as a child, uh, as a close friend, I'm still out in the cold, and 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 nothing has really changed. It's just the focus changed. And partner-sensitive is not saying don't focus on your program, don't make it a priority, don't do all this work. It's really saying open up and connect with other people. And addicts that do that in their recovery, they get so much out of it. You're you're right. Their self-esteem blooms so much because, I mean, let's face it, on some level, we get our self-esteem by having it reflected back to us from others. But if I don't really open up and let myself be connected to other people, it's going to be more difficult for me to feel good about myself. And when you start to open up to this sensitivity idea and you start to actually connect with other people, oh, it builds your self-esteem. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm rambling, but I really like this train of thought, so I'm just going to go. Um, it's like uh, Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown's work. And uh, in one of, I think it was her original TED Talk, The, the Power of Vulnerability, she had done all of this research with people basically wanting to find out what makes people happy. And what she found, the only thing that seemed to correlate with, with people being happy was being vulnerable. It had you know, power, money, um, lack of, uh, of, of traumas or uh, relationships that lasted or relationships that didn't last. None of those things seemed to correlate with happiness. What correlated with happiness was vulnerability and being willing to be vulnerable and connected to another person. So as addicts are working on their recovery from a partner-sensitive perspective, really what we're teaching them is be vulnerable with your partner. Let your partner know who you are and be aware of how you're impacting them. And the result that addicts get out of that is increased self-esteem and happiness. And, you know, there's really nothing more beautiful than that. Well, Absolutely, and the other thing that I really love about Brene Brown's work is obviously for anybody who hasn't heard of her, she is a a social worker who does research, and she's done a lot of surveys and a lot of studying of human behavior, and she actually said something that I think we see all the time with sex addicts and partners, and that is 
when you have a client who's doing better, there is that natural propensity to fear that it isn't going to last. And so when you are an addict doing good recovery work and when you're a partner doing good recovery work, you have developed connections with social supports that are going to reassure you that things are going to be better no matter what and that it's a natural response to kind of fear that good things aren't going to stay in your life because you've dealt with so much trauma and tragedy and drama. And so I'm always talking to addicts and partners about the fact that they can begin to trust what's going on in the relationship when they're both working hard to reconnect, to stay sober, to get past the trauma, depending on who it is doing the work. Um, but I love her research because, I mean, we all do that. I, re- I remember that she cited the fact that when your kid's growing up and you're just you're just in love with the fact that you're raising a family, you start worrying about, well, what if they get in an accident? What if they get hit by a car? What if they go on the playground and they get hurt? It's the natural way of um, being vulnerable and needing to work through it. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and you grow and you strengthen that way. There's, um, I loved what you were saying earlier in the show. I was, I was listening in and where you were talking about how relationships would be broken, but, you know, how, you know, anything that doesn't kill you, you grow from. And, you know, I always think of, um, the, there's a Japanese art form. The name of it is, 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 is mistaking, is, is falling out of my head right now, but it's basically broken, uh, broken porcelain or ceramic that they have put back together with precious metals, gold, silver, different things. And the idea of the, of that art form is that these uh, pieces of porcelain, these teacups and plates and different things are more beautiful now because they've been broken and put back together. And the other piece of it is that the parts that have been welded back together are stronger than the original porcelain parts because of the weld and all the stuff that's gone into it. And I, and I love that analogy for, you know, healing relationships and how uh, doing the work of recovery, of healing, uh, for an addict, being sensitive to your partner's experience allows the healing to take place within your relationship. And because of that, your relationship in many ways, I find those relationships so much more beautiful because they have more depth, um, you know, the, there's more understanding there, and they're stronger. Just it, oh, there, there's a lot of good stuff you know, there. I really believe that this is a, an emerging field. Although sexual addiction has always been around, obviously with the internet, it has catapulted how one becomes addicted, and with it being anonymous, affordable, and accessible, and you have porn in your pocket. I mean, it's just a real new thing for us to teach others how to change and how to recover from. And my belief is that there are a lot of old schools of thought, and one of those is that partner-sensitive treatment may actually reinforce or create codependence. And I know that you and I do not use the codependent term. We do not want to just stamp on a partner that they're codependent because they've been with an addict. Tell me a little bit about how you feel about codependence and do you believe the partner-sensitive treatment reinforces that in any way? Um, Well, no. No, I don't. Um, Codependence, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different definitions of codependence and, and and I find when I'm putting other people's reactions or other people's experiences uh, ahead of my own consistently, you know, there's always times when that's a very appropriate thing to do. But if I'm consistently doing that, uh, that, that might, that's a codependent piece. If I'm, as the addict, uh, if I'm manipulating my partner to make sure that she's not upset um, because I was triggered today, you know, I'm acting codependent. Uh, as a partner, if I'm um, if I'm you know being very careful about tr- manipulating what I say because I don't want to set the 
the my my partner who's an addict off in some way. I'm being codependent. I see the codependent pieces um, playing out sometimes, but by no means at at any time am I going to have a a partner walk in and and say, well, you, you know, you're a partner of an addict, therefore you're a codependent. We simply don't find that to be true, and. I think it's really important to recognize, like you were saying, it's not going to create codependence. An addict who's working with us and we're reinforcing for them sort of this partner sensitivity, we're not reinforcing for them, you have to um, manipulate your partner or you have to make sure that your partner is absolutely not upset or if there's anything that's wrong with them, you need to fix it for them and and, and just make sure that everything is fine for them because, you know, one, that's going to interfere with the partner's ability to heal because typically the partner feels like nothing has changed. Two, that's not healthy for the addict. And, and really what, what we're teaching with partner sensitivity is not you have to fix things for the partner. It's more you just need to be aware of what's going on with the partner. Um, we have – one of, one of the, the things that comes up a lot as we're working from a par- partner-sensitive model is, is, is we do a lot of groups here at, at Willow Tree. And when guys come in and they're talking about, um, oh, what's the classic example? I have guys that come in who have, um, it seems like for whatever reason, they don't pay the credit card bill because they're trying to, you know, borrow from Peter to pay Paul out of their savings accounts and different accounts. They don't quite have enough to cover the credit card bill. And, so they don't pay the credit card bill. They're going to pay it like a couple weeks later. There's going to be a little bit of a finance charge, but they, 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 they've got it managed and figured out. And for whatever reason, they don't share this with the partner. And so they come into group the next week, and obviously, of course, because it always happens that the partner has found out, whether it's the credit card bill came in the mail and they saw that there's this huge balance or – um, I, I can't tell you how many times I have credit card companies that call and just say, hey, we just want to make sure you're aware that your payment's overdue, and the partner's like, what? I had no idea. And the addict comes in, and, and what their story is, is my partner is going way off the handle. She's so upset, and I can't figure out why I'm sleeping on the couch because I didn't pay the credit card bill. And at that point, a codependent response is, well, how do you make everything fine for your partner so that she isn't upset anymore and you need to bend over backwards and make everything perfect. And a partner sensitive response is why do you think that was so upsetting to your partner? Think about her experiences. Think about what she's gone through and why would that be so upsetting? And then they say, well, I've never done anything with money. And I'll say, yeah, we haven't done anything with money in the past. That might, might or might not be true. But you have kept secrets from her. You did keep an entire part of your life underneath the radar so she had no idea what was going on. And the only way she found out about that was that she blindly walked into it and discovered it and was overwhelmed by it. I wonder if that experience of what she experienced all through your addiction that on some deep level she's afraid is going to happen again I wonder if that experience parallels what's going on with her with this credit card bill. As small as this seems to you, what it represents to her is you're keeping secrets from her again and you're doing stuff behind her back again. And so, of course, she's having a reaction, not because you didn't pay the credit card bill, but because you're keeping secrets. And when we have that conversation, then the group starts to talk about it. Suddenly, there's a different understanding of, oh, her reaction makes sense. I understand it, and I can have empathy for that, and I can have some compassion for my partner and what she's going through. It's not about manipulating and, and making everything okay, but it's about having an understanding so that that tempers their interactions and that tempers the next time they're like, you know, I'm not sure I can cover the credit card bill. Oh, this is a pattern I need to do, and let me make sure that I'm being more upfront with my wife not because I'm trying to manipulate her, but because I understand the impact that keeping secrets has on her and I'm being sensitive to that and I'm approaching it differently because that's what my program is teaching me. Well, yes, and, you know, what I know is that if they acknowledge that, although 
A lot of times addicts don't want to acknowledge it because they go, okay, she's already been mad at me. If I bring it back up, I'm going to raise, she's going to be even more angry, and I'd just rather brush it out of the rug and do better next time. And certainly when an addict acknowledges, wow, I I didn't realize that this would trigger you in terms of deceit and dishonesty, and I get it, and I'm sorry, and I want to reassure you that I'm working on this, and when when the partner gets validated and reassured, if it's genuine, and I don't know, my experience with addicts is when they're working hard on something, it is genuine. It may take a while for them to sustain it, but it's really genuine. And when that happens, wow, does that build up some trust and some expectations mm-hmm. that things are going to be better? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then that's all we're doing, I, I, you know, the guys that walk into our program as the addicts, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm consistently telling them, look, your wife doesn't trust you. And, and that makes total sense. And, and part of your work is re, is earning her trust back. You can't, it doesn't just get given, it gets earned. And that is going to take, in my opinion, minimum of a year, probably more, but it's going to take consistent trustworthy behavior over time to earn back that trust. You know, I was thinking about that timeline um, because I do agree that for somebody to get into the groove of reassuring and validating and empathizing, it does take about a year. And then truly to hone in those skills and to have the partner lose some of that trauma that's associated, gosh, it may be two or three years before they really can start believing that this has changed Uh, for the better. And it, and, it, and it's the difficult stuff. I mean, you were talking about, you know, codependence and does partner-sensitive treatment create codependence. It's one of the hardest things for addicts to do when they first come into our program is to be willing to tell their partner, you know, they come home and the partner's like, hey, how was your day? And for them to be able to say, today was a rough day. I had all kinds of stuff just floating through my head, but you know, I made some phone calls. I said the serenity prayer. I kept my boundaries in place, um, and I and I, I'm, I got through today just fine. But a bit of a challenge. That willingness to say I'm having a hard time, and here's what I did about it. It's not codependence because it's not manipulating your partner to make sure everything's fine. Because if you were being codependent, you'd say, Oh, everything's fine. No, no worries. Everything's good, and paint that. But being honest and vulnerable in that I struggled, but here's what I did to get through it, and I'm willing to share that with you, even though what the partner believes is I'm going to say this and my partner's going to freak out, and she might, but that willingness to be honest about that, that's where the trust gets rebuilt. And so it's it's almost the opposite of codependence for the addict. It's not become codependent on your partner. It's be, be honest with your partner and for, for partners because as they get that information, if they have a tendency to want to say, you know, what's going on? Are you okay? Did you, did you make your phone calls? How many phone calls did you make today? And they kind of have that I need to micromanage your program, which has a little of that codependent feel, but really it's them trying to manage their trauma. The more that the addict comes at them from this partner-sensitive place, this is scary for me, but let me open up and be vulnerable and share with you what's going on because I'm aware at, of how much keeping this secret from you painful and re-traumatizes you. The more they do that, the less the partner feels, you know, the need to, I need to dig in to get the information because if I don't, it's going to be kept hidden from me. It actually does the opposite. It moves people further away from codependency as the addicts become more sensitive to the partner. And in, well, in the and long I know run, like we were talking about, million oh, times too, that, you know, very, it's really important partners say, you know, if he clicks on the wrong image, if he looks at something, that's bad. But what I care most about is his ability to be honest about it. And so it's that honesty that builds the trust. And my experience is most partners really do well with that as long as the addict owns up to his own, we'll use that word again, vulnerability. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, we hear we hear it from partners all the time, and 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 what we find is that part. I, I'm always telling my guys, you know, your your partner can handle you being triggered, and that's true nine times out of ten. What is going to set your partner off that is going to put your partner back to where it feels like your partner's at square one all again is if you're keeping secrets, if you're being dishonest, if you're manipulating, because those are the patterns, whether those be, you're doing those patterns related to sexual behavior or whether you're doing those patterns related to staying late at work, not paying the credit card bill, um, whether you walked the dog or not, uh, did you take out the trash? I mean, it, if you're keeping secrets or you're manipulating and, and like painting a false picture about those things, that dishonesty is what's going to set your partner off, not that you struggled. Most of the time, that's where <laughs> you the know, big it's interesting. I was from. talking to my guys in group last week, and one of the, the guys said, you know, honesty is so important in everything we do. It's not just about our acting out behaviors. It's not just about our slips. He said, the other day I caught myself telling my wife that I had taken out the trash and then running downstairs to get the trash taken out. And I thought to myself, why did I lie about that? And then he said, I lied because I didn't want to upset her and I wanted to make her proud of me. So I acted as if I did something that I didn't really do. And then I tried to catch up and get it done. He goes, I got away with it. But he goes, it made me feel so bad about myself that I had to go back up to her and say, you know what, you're not going to like this. But I lied to you about the trash, and I did it because I wanted your approval, and I'm really working on that, and I am sorry. I'm sorry that that happened. And she was, yeah. she gave him a big hug and said she appreciated the fact that he had come clean before she figured it out. And then, she, you See, know, he is, said... Yeah. She, she said, I would never have figured that one out, but I would have figured the next one out. And, you know, what a beautiful story because that's such a great example of the intersection of partner-sensitive work and really good recovery work. Because from the addict side, what that's about is I need to be rigorously honest even when nobody's watching, even when I don't think anybody would find out. And am I walking the walk? Or am I just talking the talk? And, you know, in really good recovery, addicts are learning to walk the walk. And when they make mistakes, and they will, they're willing to recognize that and then circle back and clean it up. And on the flip side of that, from the partner-sensitive side, it's being aware of, oh, I'm keeping a secret and I'm aware of how that impacts my partner and what her experience has been in the past and if she has a big reaction because she stumbles into a, a secret I've kept, not just looking at it and saying, well, look at how out of control she is and how unreasonable she is and she just needs to control everything. And, but looking at it and saying, wow, I, I get her experience and I'm sensitive to that. And so I'm willing to make this circle back to her. And for the partner, you know, when, when we're working with the partners from a partner-sensitive perspective, being able to say, I know that you want your, your, your addict. I know you want them to be perfect, and they're not going to be. And what's more important than them being perfect is are they willing to be honest with you, which might mean circling back and saying, hey, this is what happened. Yeah, that's a really that's good just... point, Tim. You know, I'm talking with Tim Stein. He's the founder of Willow Tree Counseling in Santa Rosa, California, and it's an outpatient sex addiction treatment program that provides services to addicts and their partners. He runs individual therapy. He sees couples. He does group therapy. And you have some colleagues that also help you with these cases, don't you? I do. I'm actually very fortunate. I'm, I'll correct you. I'm not the founder. I'm a co-founder. I'm very fortunate to have a, a, a partner, um, a business partner, Jeannie Vitoni, who's also a CSAT and who also is a, a certified clinical partner specialist who really uh, helps me out. But we've got a number of therapists here who are all either uh, CSAT trained or are partner specialists, and we really focus on making sure that we're giving good quality uh, help and guidance to people that walk through our door. Well, and if... If people live in 
the Santa Rosa, California area. How can they get a hold of you at Willow Tree Counseling? Well, you can find us on, on the, the Internet. We're at willowtreesantarosa.com. Uh, they can email me directly at tim at willowtreesantarosa.com, uh, or they can, uh, they can call me. Uh, our phone number is 707-200-2332, uh, and I am extension 101. So you guys can reach me that way any way you want to. Also, later at the end of September, this is September 2017, um, we have our third annual men's retreat coming up, and we're pretty much going to focus on addicts being aware of their addiction, accepting it, and then having a connection to something larger to themselves or larger than themselves. Um, so excited about doing these men's retreats, and it's such a great you know talking about partner sensitivity. It's such a great place for us in a retreat format to be able to, to, to do some good recovery work and also as a group to let them start exploring how is the work that they're doing or how is the work that they haven't done, you know, how is that impacting their partner and how can they be sensitive to their partner's experience, you know, while they're still working on their own individual program. I, I find group formats and those large conversations to be so extremely powerful. Well, absolutely. Now, explain a little bit for our listening audience what a retreat like that would consist of. Like, what is this retreat that you're going to be doing, and how can somebody sign up for it? Or, I mean, maybe it's just your own clients. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, the retreat coming up, the ones that we run uh, here at Willow Tree exclusively, uh, meaning just Willow Tree's doing them, are one-day retreats. We hold them uh, we are in a beautiful part of Northern California out here. And so there's a place out in the Redwoods that's a great retreat center. And we go out there and we, uh, we, we meet for an entire day. We start about 8 o'clock and we wrap up about 5 and lunch is included. And, you know, we do some connecting activities to, to help everybody get to know each other. And then we do a lot of work, you know, on um, usually give them some activities uh, to work on and then talk about what they got out of that and how that applies to what we're doing. Um, and a lot of the work is done in, in small groups. Um, a lot of people get a lot of in, in their own personal insight out of it. Um, this retreat, you know, Pat, Pat Carnes, I know you love Pat Carnes and his work, um, wrote a book not too long ago called the, the 12 principles, which is exploring the principles behind um, the 12 steps. And so we're, we're with this retreat, we're taking uh, the principles that he's identified behind steps one, two, and three, and we're just exploring those with, uh, with in a little bit more, more depth to help people uh, with, their, with their own recovery. You know, and I, I'll just put a, if people want to find out about that, they can go to our website and under the men's retreat, there's a link to the page about uh, about the men's retreat and how they could sign up for that if they want to. And I'll just put another plug out there that um, Dan Drake, I know you know Dan Drake. He's a, another wonderful CSAT and certified partner specialist. And I are in the process of planning a three-day retreat focused on um, uh, relationship healing for addicts to come out and really do a lot of work on partner sensitivity and help them to, to strengthen their own recovery as well as be able to really be more present and support the healing uh, of their partner and their relationship. Uh, and we're going to do that uh, later in April. I'll have more information on that, uh, you know, toward early next year. But that's another retreat coming up that I'm really kind of excited about. Well, yeah, because I said earlier today that the fact that you guys are CSAT and also partner trauma specialists means that you're able to see things from all different perspectives and help a person who may be having real difficulty getting honest or real difficulty being vulnerable. Um, it's not like you're on one side of the street. You're actually on both sides. Yeah, the, and that is so important when we're doing this partner-sensitive work. There are, are, are so many good clinicians who work you know, primarily just with partners, um, and they do really good work, but if they don't understand what the addict's process looks like, you know, sometimes they can 
uh, hamper some of the healing of the relationship and vice versa. I know so many people who do really good attic work, but if they don't really have an, uh, an understanding of the partner's trauma um, and the impact that the addiction has had on, on the partner and heaven forbid, they're still working, you know, primarily from a co-addict or codependent model exclusively for partners, they can actually hamper and get in the way of the, of the healing. So being able to, have an understanding of the addict's experience, the addict's process, the, the, the path that they're going to walk in recovery, and simultaneously understanding the impact the addiction has typically had on the partner and what the partner is reeling from and what their healing process is going to look like is so important to be able to help to, to guide, whether it's the addict or the partner, to guide them in their own work and also to to cast a light on the parallel work that's being done on the other side. And when you can give them guidance in their own journey of healing and at the same time educate them and help them to see the healing that's taking place on the other side of the relationship, that is that is just really, really powerful. Well, and you know, they say, obviously, that sexual addiction is um, a very selfish addiction, and and a lot of addicts, by the time they've really honed this addiction and they've been involved in it for so many years, um, that they really kind of think of their, themselves first. And my experience, again, of the addicts, at least, that I work with, are that when they have caused pain and when a discovery has occurred and when they decide, you know, I am so sick and tired of being sick and tired, I want to be different, they crave the tools, the skills, and the insight to be a different person. And that means they crave a lot yeah. of desire to be partner-sensitive themselves. And and they really kind of get proud of themselves when they can put their wives first or see it from their point of view or change the way they think so that all of a sudden they're they're empathizing with her. It's 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 actually recovery is a beautiful thing to watch when somebody is motivated to make their life different. Oh absolutely. You know, we we in our, our curriculum for the attic groups here, we have a, a manual that we, we use and we've incorporated more articles in there about the partner experience. And we did that. I wish I had research to validate this, but all I have is my own clinical observations is that what we have seen here is that the couples that seem to do the best, that seem to have the best chance of healing and, and staying together and, and, and feeling satisfied in their relationship, the one factor that we seem to see as a common thread through those is that the addict is able to experience and express empathy and compassion for the partner and their experience. And all the other variables might be different, but if the addict can embrace that, I've got empathy and I've got compassion for my partner, which is basically I'm sensitive to my partner's experience. That really seems to give relationships the best chance of making it. And I'm a romantic. So if if a relationship can make it, I'm always rooting for it. But we really put that in place because it is, it's such a uh, important piece. It seems to be such an important piece in, in relationships, uh, healing from the devastation of sex addiction. Well, you know, Tim, I so believe in the work you do and I really encourage our listeners. If you're thinking about a workshop, if you want to double down, if you will, on some of the skills that you need one- and two-day workshops are a great way to get that done and not take off a month from work. And I want to encourage them to go to your website. Now, it's Willow Tree Counseling. What is the full website? The full website is Willow Tree Santa Rosa, that's all one word, dot com. And on our website, we've just got a lot of informational stuff, but they'll also find links to the men's retreat coming up in September we actually have a partner's retreat, so partners getting together for a day to explore their experiences, figure out what, you know, do some work around what their healing might work look like. And I think Jeannie, who's running that retreat, is actually incorporating a, a self-empowerment ropes course 
uh, as part of that women's retreat. So that should be really cool. But they can find all that at our website, which is willowtreesantarosa.com. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you so much for encouraging sex addicts and partners alike to keep the hope going that their coupleship can be stronger than ever once they get through the crisis and do the hard work and begin to feel vulnerable and build trust. Um, You know, you and I both believe this is what it's all about. So I would encourage anybody to look up your website, and um, I know you've got some great projects in the works, so keep us posted on what they are so that we can talk a little bit about them when they get closer to formation. Uh, we'll gladly do that, and thank you, Carol, for all the work you're doing out there. It's so great, all the all the work you do, but the, the, this, this podcast is a, and the resource that it provides for people is so valuable, so um, I'm, I just appreciate you creating that space and allowing me to be a part of it. Thank you so much, Tim, and and good luck to you, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. You take care, Carol. Okay, you too. All right, so that was Tim Stein, and he is the co-founder of the Willow Tree Counseling Center in Santa Rosa, California. And obviously you could tell by his sensitivity that he is a man that really believes in rebuilding the relationship through developing validation, normalization, empathy, and and reassurance that things can be different. And it is so interesting because the model that we trained with really did say that building a sex addict's self-esteem requires teaching them partner trauma skills. And the reason that is is because when they can help their partner to rebuild the trust that they need because of all the damage that they've incurred, it it helps to build character formation and it strengthens the relationship and it makes life better. So I can't recommend enough a partner-sensitive treatment approach. Okay, we are done for tonight. I hope you enjoyed partner-sensitive treatment with Tim Stein and You know, I, as I say to you almost every week, I so appreciate you listening and sending me information and sending me questions and and wanting to know about people that uh, might be in your area that that have some of the same training that we do. We really believe in our training and and we're really here for you. Now, if you'll do me a favor, and I always um, want to remind you that we are building more and more research. And we need to have research to be able to make a difference in the American Medical Association, in the American Psychological Association. And so I sell a book, an e-book, on Amazon and through ebookit.com. And it is 12 of my shows that I've compiled that I think are amazing. The book is called Sexual Addiction Wisdom from the Masters. And you can either go to my website and order a hard copy, which I'll personally sign and send, or go to Amazon and get the ebook. Uh, there's about a $10 difference, i got to tell you, between the shipping and handling and the hardback copy. Uh, Sexual Addiction, Wisdom from the Masters. I've got a chapter in there. Patrick Carnes has a chapter. Claudia Black has a chapter. She wrote Intimate Treason about partner trauma. Barbara Steffens has a chapter. It's really kind of interesting, and it's easy read, and it gives you a taste of lots of the treatment modalities that we use when we're working hard at helping you to heal. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and buy that because every single bit of it goes to the American Foundation of Addiction Research, AFAR. And um, I promised them I'd make, make them lots of money so that they could do the research studies that they need to. Okay, well, listen, we will talk to you next week. Wendy Conquest and Dan Drake are going to be on. They have written a new book. They're going to be telling you about it. It's a sequel to Letters from a Sex Addict, and uh, I know you're going to love hearing about this book. It's an easy read, and yet it's one of those reads that is narrative, but at the same time it teaches you skills and treatments that are very helpful 
in working through sexual addiction and partner trauma. So we'll see you next week. And as I say at the end of every show, hey, there will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And don't forget, go to my YouTube here in about, I'd say in about an hour, and um, look for that that video on how to build your self-esteem. That's by Googling my name, Carol Jurgensen Sheets, or going to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Have a great night and a good week.